welcome you all here today. It's a beautiful thing to gather in Jesus' name. It's a beautiful thing to gather and worship Him together. Um, even if you don't know everybody, there's something about the body of Christ. There's a, there's a spiritual union between people who have been filled with His Spirit. And when we come together and worship, it's just beautiful. It's just awesome. Because He comes and He speaks and He does all kinds of things with every one of us. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing that I never want to take for granted. If you're new with us, uh, we're glad you're here. And I just want to say that this next portion of the service is a little weird if you really think about it. In other words, every one of us grew up in school, right? And you, you were taught different things. Taught math, taught English, taught all kinds of things. And your parents, they taught you all kinds of things. But the weird portion of this, of this service where we teach is very different, and I just want to remind or inform you guys of that. In other words, what we're doing here today is very different. All the time in school, they weren't teaching you the very essence of who you are. They weren't teaching you the very depth of your identity. They weren't teaching you the very purpose of your life and how to fulfill it. They never taught you how to come into union with God. But here is the place where we go back almost 2,000 years ago and we roll out the scrolls, if you will, something that was said and done almost 2,000 years ago was so great that it can't be improved upon. So when we preach and we teach here, we're not teaching new ideas, we're reproclaiming that message. And the things that they taught and the things they experienced, we reproclaim them so that we too can enter into that same life. Because when a man comes to earth and is very God in flesh, and he declares that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he declares that I am the resurrection, and he declares that I and the Father are one, and then he tells his followers, listen, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die and be buried. But don't worry about it. In three days, my body's going to be recreated. I'm going to raise, just as we sang about, I'm going to raise out of the grave, setting forth a path for all of humanity to come and partake in my resurrection so that your bodies too can be raised. And then I'm going to raise into the ascension, into the very throne room of God, and I'm going to rule the nations. And those of you who declare allegiance to me, faith in me, you're going to rule with me. But we're not going to rule like the world does it. We're not going to teach it like the rest of the world teaches it. We're going to do it through humility. We're going to do it through love. We're going to do it by dying to ourselves and giving our lives to other people. It's a beautiful way. It is the way. It's the way you were all created to be. To be in Him, in His life, and living in the same life that He lived, His purpose, so that you would know who you are and you would know what your life is about. That's what we're doing here today. We're going to go to Titus. And the book of Titus... Uh, this is the second series, so, so Jack preached on the first chapter last week, 
And this week, I'm going to focus on the second chapter. And again, the, the writer of this book, he was the one who was Saul turned Paul. He was the one persecuting the followers of Jesus until he met the ascended, glorified, resurrected body, Jesus. And when he met Jesus, everything changed, including his name. Now he's Paul. And now he's writing a letter to a group of believers. Really, he's writing it to one believer about a group of believers and telling them, really, what Jesus would want for them. So again, we're going to reread it so that we can reproclaim it so that we can relive it. That's the difference. Titus, let me just say a little bit about him. He was a Greek and probably studied philosophy. And he grew up in a town called Antioch, which was north of Jerusalem quite a ways. And Paul, when he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, this, this resurrected king, Titus decided, all these other things I'm learning in these schools don't teach me how to come out of the grave. But this proclamation of the resurrected king not only tells me how I can come out of the grave, but how my life can be absolutely transformed. My heart changed. And none of the philosophical schools taught that. They taught ethics, but how can you be ethical if your heart's not changed? How can you be ethical if you harbor bitterness and anger and jealousy? But the king of kings, the risen king, he says, I'll give you my spirit and I'll change your heart so that now you can live a new life and you can proclaim that to others and they can join in the party with you. So this was written almost 2,000 years ago by one man who came to know Jesus, another man who came to know Jesus through that man, and now he's setting it up. Paul is not a teacher like we think teachers are, or a philosopher like we think of philosophers, he's writing from the perspective of being a worshiper. He's writing from the perspective of bleeding and being imprisoned for this message. So he's not writing philosophically. He's writing from a heart of love and passion, and we need to hear that, and we're going to hear that today as we reread and reproclaim this message. Starting in, uh, I'm going to go back to chapter 1 and just get us started back up to speed. He says, from Paul, God's willing slave. There's your identity. Ever wonder what your true identity is? When you come to know God, you become his servant. And in our world, that sounds like a demotion. But in their world, that was an upgrade. It's kind of like some, especially a lot of kids, if you say, uh, hey, would you like to be the personal assistant of Beyonce, right? Some little girl loves Beyonce, loves her music, and somebody says, you can become her personal assistant. Taking care of all the matters of her life, traveling with her, going where she goes, doing what, helping her do what she does, taking care of everything, you get to be a part of her life. You'll come to know her as a friend, like a sister, and you get to share in her life. That's the offer. Here's Paul's identity in every one of his letters. I am God's willing servant or slave, and I'm an apostle. 
of Jesus the King, the Christ, the Anointed One. In other words, I'm a slave of the Creator God the Father. I get to be His personal assistant. And His one and only Son, Jesus, the resurrected, ascended King, He's the one sending me to do what I'm doing. That too is your identity. If you wonder what your identity is, that's it. You're in Christ, and therefore you're in the Father, and therefore you become His personal assistant, and you become His sent one. As Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I will send you. Then He goes on, and He says, I'm writing to you so that you can further the faith of God's chosen ones. That too is what you're all called to. You're sent here to further the faith of one another. That's your purpose. That's your calling. Get after it. That's your job. And lead them to the full knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In other words, a life like God's. Live like God would live. Live like Jesus would live which rests on the hope of eternal life. God, who never lies, has promised us this before time began. In His own time, He unveiled His Word through the preaching of the Gospel. This whole life, this whole plan, this whole identity, this whole purpose of your life is all revealed in the Gospel. So then now, I'm going to skip down. Uh, well, verse 5. And he's talking now to Titus specifically, and he says, For this reason... I stationed you in Crete. Crete was an island off the coast of Greece so that you could set things in order. Guess what? Where did Jesus station you? In Tucson. For what purpose? To make sure things come together in order in the church so that the church becomes this living community full of God's love and truth and living it in such a way that the world gets to see it and they can't help but want to join in. There's your identity. There's your purpose. There's your calling. What are you doing about it? Are you clear? If you're not clear, you're going to be tempted to go in a lot of different directions. You're going to spend a lot of time, money, and effort in a lot of different things throughout your life if you're not clear on what you've been sent for. It's like a GPS. If I say, meet me in Tucson somewhere, and I don't tell you where, what are the odds you're going to find me? Almost zero. But if I give you an address and a GPS, you know exactly how to get to me. This letter, almost 2,000 years old, is giving you a GPS of how to live your life, if you follow it. All right, skipping now to chapter 2. He says, your duty, Titus, is to teach them. I'm literally in Titus's position right now. <laughs> Somebody has told me to tell you. Paul told Titus to tell the church. I'm here retelling what Paul told Titus. And what am I to tell you? The very thing that he told him. Embrace this lifestyle. This Jesus lifestyle. Embrace it. Identify with it. Make it your own. That is consistent with sound doctrine. Now that sounds like a lofty word. Sound doctrine. For Paul, writing from a passion of a worshiper, 
That is, that is always signaling back to the gospel truth. What accords with the teachings and life of Jesus? The word of truth. Everything you live for, everything you do, every penny you spend should be focused on making a lifestyle out of this. Lead, and then he goes on to talk about all the different kinds of behaviors. Lead the male elders into a disciplined life. That comes up over and over and over again through his exhortation. Discipline. Now, discipline for what? Get up and lift weights every morning? You know, you can do that if you want. But a disciplined mind, heart, body, and life towards living in the purpose of Jesus. Are you disciplined on that? Every morning, what's the first thought on your mind? How do I fulfill the calling of Jesus? All throughout the day, you're looking for opportunities. You're preparing yourself, where you go, what job you take. You don't take the best job just because it pays the most. You take whatever job you feel like you're going to have the greatest opportunity to represent Christ. Everything is chosen. Your wife is chosen. Everything you teach your children, everything is wrapped around this lifestyle of knowing Jesus and making him known. And when you do that, you find life. You find freedom. You find that you're the personal assistant of God the Creator. Yeah, I'm his assistant. If you want to talk to him, you got to come talk to me. It's kind of that kind of thing, right? If people don't know God, they need to talk to somebody who does. And it's not a pride, it's not a pride thing. He's revealed himself to me. He's filled his spirit in me. He's taught me through his word. And I'm just merely repeating what he said. And therefore, I know him. And now I can make him known. It's awesome. Uh, he goes on to talk about uh, female elders. Uh, lead them into lives free of gossip and drunkenness. Evidently, older ladies back then, when they got you know, nothing else to do, they'd raise the kids. Apparently, it was a common thing in Crete just to start getting drunk. And so he's like, hey, you know, the older ladies need to quit sipping on the wine. You know, he's just going through random behaviors, but notice what, what the reason is. Now, of course, he says, this will enable them to teach the younger women to love their husbands. I love that verse. <laughs> Wives, love your husbands. Uh, and to love their children and to be self-controlled, pure, taking care of their household, being devoted to their husbands. Love that. By doing these things, the word of God will not be discredited. All these behaviors that Paul kind of highlights to Titus, is so that the gospel will not be discredited. The story that we proclaim, this exalted king that we say we find our identity and life in, we don't want to do anything, say anything, that would discredit that truth. That would discredit the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That would discredit the crucifixion of Jesus. And every time we live life according to our will, in our way, and we begin to choose things that we desire over what God desires, we discredit the message. Now, how do we do this today? Let's break it down for today. Start thinking for a moment. What are the ways that the church and Christians in general have discredited the gospel by the way they act or the way they speak or the way they do things? Think about it. <clears throat> you 
All right, got a few of them in your head? Here's my list. Going out to eat. The church has a terrible reputation for treating waitresses and waiters terribly, being high on the demand, and low tippers. When you do that, you discredit the message. You, you get it? No words. God so loved the world, He gave everything, including His Son. And then we come along, demand high service, and low tip. Does not display grace. Does not display mercy. Does not display patience and kindness. In fact, the people of God should, should especially go into fast food places at a busy time. When the lines are super long and just say, you can go in front of me. You can go in front of me. Bless you. Have a great day. I'm in no hurry. That would be a good representation of the message. Versus, you got my fries and they're cold and now you're going to argue about your fries. And it's, is it really worth discrediting the message of the gospel over cold or hot fries? That's one way. So kind of the outward public business is the same way. Basically, think of it like this. If Jesus, your king, said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. There's the story. There's the life. There's the example. How might you do that? Well, it doesn't look like when you're in a position where others are serving you. It could be at the hospital. People are serving you. It could be at a restaurant. They're serving you. It could be in any scenario. They're washing your car. They're serving you. Look for ways to serve them. And no matter what they, oh, rather than, oh, you missed a spot, hey, let me have your towel. And I've done this several times. I just get out and start washing the car with them. You know what? And I just start talking about the love and the grace of God. Like, you look for every opportunity to lift up the message, and you make sure that none of your actions discredit the message. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You all know what the reputation is out there. We've got to change it. And Paul, almost 2,000 years ago, when he's getting ready to send Titus to Crete and say, listen, you go to every church on that island. Those stinking Cretans, they're known to be liars and cheaters and all kinds of stuff. And even though they've come to know Jesus, they're still liars and cheaters. And you need to teach them how to live and how to act so that they don't discredit the very message they've received. That's what was said then. I'm reproclaiming it today so that you can not only proclaim it, but live it. Make sense? This is awesome. I love it. Sporting events, especially for little kids, and the ump is not doing a good job. Is it worth discrediting the message? What about people that are non-believers who lie and cheat and lie about you and cheat against you and you see politicians and you see famous people and you hear about stuff and you decide to get on the little Twitter? Stop. Stop right there and think, am I about to discredit the message Am I about ready to vomit on the world and judge them for this and for that and give them my opinion? Right? Don't do that. That discredits the message also. 
other ways. There's, there's tons of them. I love it. He mentioned, and some of these go through the speed of time. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? If you're a husband, you're to treat your wife like Jesus treated the church. He died for her, gave his life for her, so that she could be sat with him on the throne. That's how husbands are to treat their wives. Right? It doesn't matter how she treats you. Don't discredit the message, even if she does. And wives, likewise. These bullheaded men, you know, we get it. Don't discredit the message. Serve them like you would serve Christ Himself. You get it? You see how the life becomes transformed and it frees us all? And then he talks about the women. Teach the women how to love their children. Well, wait, that's kind of strange. Don't mothers naturally just love their kids? No. Have you been at the grocery store? I mean, they might have a warm and fuzzy inside for these kids, but they're not loving them. Disciplining them, teaching them, causing their behavior to glorify Jesus. Shaping their hearts and not just being demanding. Being patient and kind so as to transform their hearts. Teach the mothers and the fathers to do that so that the message of Jesus is not discredited. Now let me ask you the question. This is just a general tip. It's scriptural, kind of, but it's a general tip. And here's the tip. If you see a believer doing this well, whatever that is, whether it's raising kids, loving their husband or wife, uh, treating people well, being patient, being kind, whatever it is, Seek them out. Hey, I'd like to know, how did you do that? How did your life get conformed in such a way that that seems to be the natural fruit of your life? That's what we're to do for one another. But no, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me, I I'm smart. I can YouTube it. You know, I can go elsewhere. No, submit to one another. Learn from one another. Pray for one another. Be kind to one another so that we all grow up. Equip one another. Teach one another. Even rebuke one another. Well, there's a scary word. Yeah, rebuke's a great thing. Let me just, let me just clear the air on this one. Jesus says... Don't judge, lest you be judged. He's talking about us judging unbelievers. Don't do that. Don't judge unbelievers, whether it's on Twitter or in real life. The church is notoriously bad about that. We blast politicians. We blast educators. We, we blast everyone. Because nobody seems to live up to our standard. That's called self-righteousness. That's called Phariseeism. And Jesus says, do not condemn the world and do not judge the world because when you judge the world, guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn it right back around and go, have you seen the church lately? And that's never a comfortable conversation. Right? But then he says, for one another, if you see a speck in one another's eyes, you need to go to them and tell them. 
But before you go, get the log out of your own. So in other words, and then he goes on. It's very interesting. Listen to this. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Okay, now in that culture, swine was kind of a metaphor for unbelievers. Okay, not my made-up word, their made-up word. And the pearls are your judgment. Pearls, pearls are valuable. Don't give that valuable pearl to people who don't follow Jesus. Because what will they do? They will trample it. They will just run all over it, and they will run all over you. But if you have a brother or sister in Christ who's wanting to walk in holiness, and who's wanting to magnify Jesus, and you see something in their life or their kids or whatever, and you know them well, you're meant to go and say, hey, what do you, what do you think about this? Wouldn't you like to change this? No, no, no. Let me go back here. This is what, this is what Paul says to Titus. So we love judgment, and we want to judge one another in a loving way that restores us. Notice what he says at the very end of the chapter to Titus. So preach these truths, some of the ones I'm telling you right now, and exhort others to follow them, like what we're doing right now, and be willing to expose sin in order to bring correction with full authority. And don't be intimidated. Because we're all intimidated to do that, aren't we? But you're all called to do it. Now here's when you know you're doing it in the way Paul and Jesus calls us to. He says, when you see these faults in one another, those of you who are filled with the Spirit, filled with love, patience, kindness, goodness, and the very wisdom of God. So if you don't have that, don't you be going. <laughs> but if you have that and you think you've got it, he says you're to go to them and make it known to them in a spirit of gentleness and meekness so that they might be restored. When you're doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it, you're not worried about right, wrong. You're not worried about telling them off. You're worried about seeing their life restored. You're going them to see their life. I don't want to see your kids grow up to be this. And what you're currently doing is not working. Hey, can I pray with you? Can I help you? Can I... And again, it's a friend, not just some stranger. Some, you know, well, let me see here. You know, it's not random. It's with wisdom. It's with love. It's with patience so that we all could live in godliness and walk in holiness. Holiness is like a uniform that police officers get. When you get the uniform, you're holy. You've been equipped and you've been given authority to serve. Now a cop, once he's been given power and authority and he's been made holy with the badge and the uniform, he has a choice on whether he serves according to what he's supposed to serve like or whether he serves in his own way. If he serves in his own way, we all see it, right? It's, always, it's put out on the news a lot of times. He's not being holy <laughs> in our terms. He's going against his badge. He's going against what he's been clothed and given authority to do. You've been clothed and given authority to love each other in such a way that holiness and godliness and our lives become beautiful. I love... I love uh, Back over here, back to our chapter. Um, chapter 2, uh, 
verse 11. Maybe highlight this. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. God's marvelous grace, in other words, grace is not just a concept. Grace is not a philosophical word. Grace is a person. You don't get grace, you come to know grace. You see the difference? God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation to everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles, and it equips us, as an equipping pastor, I love that word, and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this corrupt present age. That's what it's all about. To walk in a way that brings freedom and truth and life to everyone. We are those people. This is your calling. How are you doing? How are you doing at making the whole church here holy? Because it's not just about you as an individual. You're to help the whole body. That's your calling. You've been given a uniform and a badge by Jesus himself and said, help one another, teach one another, equip one another, live in such a way as to give them an example to follow. And then when you see people getting tripped up, go to them in a spirit of meekness and help them. The whole reason Paul writes this letter to Titus is to say, I want you to teach everyone in all the churches on that island how to do it. How do you do it? And that's my question to you. How are you doing it? How are you doing it on an individual level? How are you doing it as your family? How are you doing it amongst the body of Christ? Because one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account on how we lived out our purpose. And our purpose is to love one another and to help one another walk in holiness and godliness and turn our back on all of the garbage that is in our world. To not partake of it, but to turn our backs on it so as to credit Jesus the King. The one we sang about. The one we glorified. The one we gave all praise to. We want to live in that kind of declarative worship. Every day, how do I exalt Him? Every day, in every way that I live, how can I manifest this lifestyle that Jesus Himself manifested? This is awesome. This is so good. What are we afraid of? Why are we holding back? Pray for one another. Get on your knees for one another. Visit one another. Meet one another. Don't live in isolation. Get to know one another. There's so many one another's. And that's your family responsibilities. Every family, you have responsibilities in that family. Your responsibility in the church is to love one another, serve one another, equip one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. That's your responsibility given to you by the king. How can you not do it? How can you not forgive if he's freely forgiven you? I'm going to back up one more time and end on this. He's going through all these things. Uh, 
and he says, it teaches us, I'm going to go back, it teaches us to say uh, how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles, and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, for we continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope in the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the King, the Anointed One. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people. You're that people. You're that blessed people who are his very own and passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. What a calling. What a gift. What a relationship. What a responsibility that we could do everything that we do here and in the city and all over the city that Jesus will look down and go, that's some beautiful art. That's some beautiful lives. That's magnifying who I am. Because just as I gave my life for you guys, now you're giving your life to one another. You're giving your life to the world, even those who are your enemies, even those who don't serve you on time. <laughs> all of those people you know who those people are right we know who those people are who get on your nerves who get on your pet peeves and push your buttons that's just an excuse for ungodliness we cannot afford buttons and pet peeves we've got a lord to exalt who died for us so that we could die for one another and for the world amen all right, Lord, what a calling, what a challenge, what a clear purpose you've given us. And you haven't left us alone in this. You've sent your Spirit to fill us, to strengthen us, to heal us, to forgive us, and to unite us with you so that we could then lay down our lives for one another. What a beautiful story. And you left us, you left us something to do together. You said every time you gather together in order to remember me, to remember my life and my way of life and, how, and to remember that you're to, to take your whole life and shape it after mine, I want you to eat of this fruit of the vine. I want you to eat of this bread because it speaks of the brokenness of my body. It speaks of the sacrifice of my blood so that you too could partake in this life. You too could partake in this way. And so everyone here is welcome. Come and partake. Come and eat of the life of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You have given us everything we need for life and for godliness and we exalt you and give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.